welcome to the Geek Night Inn, episode 60. I'm your host, Laura, and I'm here this week with Gemma. Hello. And a special guest. Gemma, do you want to do introductions? Because you have brought a person with you this week. Yes. Obviously, I'm going to point at Mary and put her on the spot, because I, oh. for once, we have more than one person in Sweden on this episode. So This uh, is against yeah. the natural order. You are meant to be the only <laughs> Swede and no, no further Swedes. that's it i'm officially swedish now indeed so yes hello who are you tell us about yourself my name is mary and i'm a friend of Gemma's, and i seem to be pulled into things that she does (laughs) (laughs) that's that's the only way that these things ever happen is that you make friends with the wrong people and you get dragged into doing stuff that ends up going out on the internet and suddenly that's what you do so (laughs) hooray it is very nice to have you with us this week and We are going to do what we do every week and just talk about geeky, nerdy stuff for as long as we can fill up on the air. So Lovely, uh, lovely. Gemma, do you want to pick where we start this week? Because I, I, have, I have this habit of picking on you, don't I? Making you start off. <laughs> yes, you do, actually. Well, okay, again, I can defer to Mary. She could be my full person for this episode. Because <sighs> um, we, <laughs> we've ended up talking about Ingress a fair bit during the start of episodes. But Mary actually plays an alternative to Ingress, which might be of interest to people who can't run it on their phones for various mm. reasons. Well, I try. I'm, I'm not fully... I don't fully understand it yet, but I play Turf, which is similar. Um, basically, you just stand in a spot for 20 seconds and then you've sort of hacked it. You own it. Um, and I think there's a time period where you run around Stockholm and you hack these places and you try to own them for as long as possible and the one with the most points at the end of the time period let's say a few weeks I think it is um wins or get into the top five or whatever yeah. it sounds interesting do you know if it's a thing that exists outside of Stockholm and Sweden or is it just sort of localized to there do you know uh no I actually did it when we went to Gotland with Jayhack. I actually, I was, um, they were wondering why I was leaning against the wall and that was, was because I was hacking an area. <laughs> yeah, a little bit like, unlike Ingress, where you can just be like furiously tapping on your phone, yeah. this one you have to be like kind of <laughs> looking up to the sky yeah. almost. Well, this is what I was wondering, because like I think about the way that my parents play Ingress and they'll tend to do it like with the phone in like a, a sat nav holder in the car and they'll just tap away if they're stuck at traffic lights or something. Mm. And I now just have visions in my head of my mother sat at traffic lights and the lights have gone green and she's like, I just need three more seconds, two, one. <laughs> it's like, I can't go yet. I'm still hacking. I'm not sure how Ingress works, but um, I get the impression you don't actually have to be in the physical spot. You or you do in order to, you have to be close to the physical spot initially yeah. to hack it, but then you can re- hack them remotely later. And I I've never understood how that bit of it works. Gemma would be the person to talk about that. Okay, yeah, <laughs> but here you have to be in the physical spot for twenty seconds, mm. and and then you leave it, and then you own it for at least nobody else can hack it for twenty minutes. Well, that's that's nice. At least you know that for a little while it's going yeah. to be yours, if not nothing else. Now, see that I I feel like I might have to look up and look this up because I feel like that might work better for me because there is a portal, um, like ingress wise, like there is a portal within reach of my place, but it's constantly being hacked, etc. 
I like the idea of let's say there's an appropriate like a similarly placed portal for turf that I can just go there, hack it, and be like, all right, I don't have to worry about it now for at least a little bit, <laughs> which would be nice. Well, having a look on the website, because I wasn't sure of its breadth either, it is technically quite widespread. However, the unlike Ingress, which has loads of portals, these are generally kind of specific. So I'm seeing a map of Southeast England, for example, and there's a turf on Basingstoke, but not Newbury, and like Woking, <laughs> Bracknell, but not Henley-on-Thames. <laughs> um, how how intriguing i am very curious as to how they decide which ones deserve portals yeah and it's rather more uh localized as well because it, it's this live map is currently showing like a map of players who are currently playing it and there's one in britain one in northern france and over a dozen in sweden <laughs> <laughs> okay so, so this is not a thing that's really hit the british shores so much yet no, there do seem to be turfs changing hands there, but yeah. I think it's more of a sort of localised thing. I feel yeah. like I need to get involved now and we need to use this as a platform to get more people doing this because it's yeah. like, no, we need we need British fights over turf. <laughs> turf is such a British term for fighting over things. Yeah, yeah. and look what we did for Ingress. This would, this would work for turf. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. Next thing we know, a bunch of people in their 30s through 50s are going to start playing it. It's going to be the hot new craze in the mm -hmm. don't really play video games mobile phone demographic. Because, you know, <laughs> the Geek Night Inn is just that influential, it seems. Yeah. yeah um, <laughs> but the main thing, one thing I would mention, actually, is that it's a benefit to people who don't have, like, up-to-date smartphones. Because yeah. uh, which iPhone version do you have? I've got the iPhone 5 with the iOS 6. Mm. And I am not upgrading because design principles. <laughs> <laughs> but because it won't, her phone won't run Ingress, that means that Turf is a, a nice like, alternative. Now that is nice to hear. Um, I, do have, I do have an Ingress story from this week. And this is, again, a story that's come secondhand from my mother because she plays far more Ingress than I do, but I steal all of her cool Ingress stories for this podcast. Um, she had her first encounter with another Ingress player in the wild, unexpectedly. Um, so she hacked a portal that's pretty near her home, and she was walking back from this portal, and as she was walking back, she got a notification it was being hacked. So she went back and put more defences on it, Starts walking away and it's getting hacked again. And she looks and there's someone messing around on their phone just <laughs> outside of this portal. And she walks over and she's just like, are you, uh, are you lost or anything? Are you? And the person was like, uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> and it turned out they, they ended up chatting. And this was the first time that my mother has met someone just by noticing it's you, you're hacking my portal. <laughs> so they had a nice truce in the end. He agreed to leave my mother's portal unattacked. But she made, an, she made an ingress friend based on <laughs> spying in people's windows and seeing who might be messing around on their phone and hacking her portal. <laughs> yeah, like in-game encounters never sound creepy when it's ingress. Oh, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I am still waiting for the moment when she acts on that story from last week and she um, gets her kayak and sails out to Brownsea Island. Like, I still think that's inevitably going to happen at some point. She hasn't done it yet, but I'm sure she will. Yeah. Yeah, so there we go. Uh, what else have we got on the topic list this week? I need to have a look what I've got. I can't remember what I... Uh, what did I put down? Oh, You've been playing things. I've That's been... a break from usual behaviour. Oh, I know. So <laughs> unexpected for me. I've been playing some video games this week. Um, do we do we want to start with the weird, interesting one that came out of nowhere? Or the kind of depressing, like, art game one? 
Should we go on a dip and then like get a a happy thing afterwards? Okay, we'll we'll, we'll start with the, the the kind of depressing one. It, I played a game this week called That Dragon Cancer, mm-hmm. and the short version of this is uh, there was a father whose twelve month old baby had been diagnosed with a brain tumor and was given maybe a couple of months left to live, and the child did manage to survive much longer than that couple of months, lived until about the age of five. And this game is sort of a two-hour autobiographical exploration of this parent's life with a child that he knew was was dying. It is a heavy game. I, I think that much is probably obvious from the description. It is it is pretty heavy-handed. Like the uh, At the time when the game started development, the the developer's son was still alive. And his son passed away during development. It was a bit of a road to get this game together. And uh, it comes out on Tuesday, I believe. So, Hmm. yeah, I played through it. And it's always hard to know how to talk about something that is so clearly a personal passion project and a very personal love letter to someone. But that's also being sold for about $15 American as a consumer product and that's a bit of a it's a bit of a back and forth you have to weigh um being critical about it as a consumer product the big problem i have with it is that when it's good it's fantastic um the moments when it focuses on things like this is a father um pacing around a hospital room trying to calm down a child who won't calm down or being sat in a room where you're getting the the sort of prognosis about your child and like there's one bit where the child's like pulling one of those farmyard animal noise spinners that's like oh the cow says moo etc but it will land on the faces of people in the room and you can then hear their thoughts of what they're thinking during this moment and when it's focused on those like small personal interactions about like very much rooted in the family and what it's like to go through this it's a stunning piece of of art it is moving and touching and beautiful the problem is it feels like at times the developer felt the need to include gameplay elements to avoid being called a walking simulator and there are times where the game does it introduces elements that just don't feel like they mesh with the tone of what's going on and the example i've been using to talk about this um when i wrote my review which hasn't gone up yet but it will be up when this podcast goes up um that there's there's one scene where you're sort of having this emotional dialogue about um about children who get a party when they are finally in remission and they get to leave the hospital and it's this very sort of sad voicemail that you're sort of walking around the hospital listening to while this mother talks about how sad she is that her son's never going to get one of these and then out of nowhere you end up doing a cart racing section um, where you, the mother and child are in a, a small red wagon doing three laps around a small section of a hospital while wacky music plays and you throw bananas and things and you do all the sort of Mario Kart-esque things but there's no other races so you're not throwing these projectiles to slow down any other races you're, you're not there's no winning or losing based on how well you do if you just hold forwards you will eventually just complete it with no penalty. And it, it just feels really weird. It's like, it's not adding anything to the narrative. And if anything, it's actively detracting from the pacing and the tone of the rest of the piece. Yeah. I mean, I, I could see that, 
well, I, I first played it at the when it was in the Develop Indie Showcase yes. like a number of years ago in Brighton. I, I played it at Develop as well, which and it was again, mm. it was that five minute demo that was like the the child uh, Joel won't stop crying, I think, and his father's just sort of walking around like, oh, I'll try and feed you, and he like throws up the juice and whatever. Mm. I think it was the same demo, and like those moments are stunning. Yeah, I and I'd heard that yeah. since then there were elements of where it, it taps more into the the parent child relationship. So there's, uh, I, I think I'd read somewhere that there was some sort of like whimsy added sometimes because. <laughs> Well, speaking as a non-parent, yeah. like I assume that there are moments where you play with your child a bit well, more, yeah. and, you get and there this are fancy world. there are there are ways to do that right. Like there is a whole yeah. there is a whole section of this game that is dedicated to taking your child to the park, and it's just you playing with your child at the park, and like there's a section where you go and feed 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 the ducks with your child, and you know there's a little bit of a conversation in there with the other children about like why their brother isn't developing as fast as they should be or whatever, but. There, mm. there are lots of those moments where they do have contextually appropriate moments of whimsy, but then they also have these moments where it does feel like they tried to wedge in video game elements. And it's really concerning, like having done my review and started to look back at interviews, when they got acquired by in their exclusivity deal with Ouya, one of the big things mm. is the Ouya stakeholders were like, you need more video game elements in this. Uh, right. And it feels like this might have been what caused it, and I don't have any solid proof for that, but I really feel like this game would have benefited from cutting maybe half an hour's worth of um, the content in there that's clearly meant to be, like, that's either gameplay elements they've tried to add or that are allegorical elements that just don't land sometimes. Like, mm. I can think of there are two kind of abstracted moments that really work well. There's one where the child's sort of flying along with these balloons and like inevitably they're all going to pop. You can only keep them safe so long. There's this video game within a video game in there that's handled really well. And that does some really good stuff with narrative. A lot of the other times when it tries to, when it tries to extrapolate its narrative and do something a bit more abstract as a representation, it often either misses or completely damages the tone and pacing of that moment. And that's a real shame. Like I would love to play a director's cut of this. Hmm. So yeah, that's my weirdly conflicting feelings on that Dragon Cancer. I'm super glad I played it. It was a very moving experience, and by the end of it, I was very sort of, I was definitely in tears by the end. But it was, it was an odd experience. I'll give it that. Hmm. So, so yeah, it's a shame that Ouya are possibly part of that because because it totally worked out for Ouya. I mean, they're like following the line to try and make a game fit on that system yeah I mean, like look at how successful it is now and all this sort of thing it feels a shame basically to waste bits of the game on something which never took off anyway yeah it's it's difficult because i do look at this and i'm just like if i could if i could remove three and it's hard to say that because i know it's like it's clearly such a passion project letter of love from this mm. father uh, uh, to their child but equally as a consumer product I wish that, like, I would be much more willing to recommend this to people if I could cut, like, three or four scenes out of it. Hmm. And they're generally the ones where it's like, yeah, I'm just going to cut the cart battle around of here that serves no purpose and 
Like the cart battler, really weirdly controlled. It's not like you, you're playing with um, like either your keyboard or your controller or whatever. It's mouse pointer left or right to try and sort of move the cart racing cart. It, it, it's very thought, uh, ill thought out inclusion of additional gameplay types. It's very odd. Hmm. But on a more positive note, I played a weird, weird game this week that has seemingly blown up out of nowhere and no one was on no one's radar until this week. Pony Island. Have you heard anything about Pony Island? No. I have not heard of it either. <laughs> okay, I, I'm going to try and keep the premise as simple as possible. You are stuck playing a non-stop runner because the devil has locked you inside an arcade cabinet. And you are trying to hack your way out of his cheap indie game in order to escape with your soul. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It, it's, one, it, it's one of those <laughs> arresting elevator pictures. Yeah, it is an interesting one to, to explore. It is, um, it's a couple of hours long and it's basically like part non-stop runner, part hacking mini game. Um, what I think is really interesting about it is it does, it does a lot of good with updating its gameplay mechanics very regularly throughout the experience as soon as you've got your hands on like you've got a good grip on one set of mechanics it'll introduce new things and new gameplay elements and it's constantly doing that through its whole two hours at a very good pace the narrative is chilling and creepy and unsettling in all the right ways and it does a lot of things to mess with the player i had to actively go and find someone else in my own house to check that something was the way I thought it was. Because this <laughs> game left me like, are you sure that didn't happen? Because I, I don't know. It, it is very good at doing, like, the best comparison point I have is that Metal Gear Solid boss fight, and I can't remember, Psycho Mantis, where it's like reading your save data from your memory card and you had to put your um, controller in the wrong control port to make it work. It feels like one of those type of experiences, but stretched out over two hours. And yeah. I was very impressed with it. It had a really interesting story, a lot of very interesting mechanics at play, and it was unsettling in all the right ways that kept me engaged. And I don't want to say much more about it in case I ruin it, but it's it's a really weird, cool game. <laughs> We're just having a look at one of the Let's Play videos of it on mute, and uh, yeah, it's it seems to be running some like fairly simple standard mechanics, and then like an end screen where you just like it's it's all gone glitchy now, and I'm starting to think like yeah, is this it's, Frog Fractions too. I did have my moment at the beginning where I was like, is this Frog Fractions too? <laughs> have people finally found it? It's clearly not Frog Fractions too, but it does go down its own very deep rabbit hole. So. It is it is a weird game and I really highly recommend it. I think I gave it like a nine point five on Destructoid. I am very into this game, so I also like how um it seems to be on like one uh kind of skewed around a, an old fashioned monitor. Oh, definitely. It is very much around a sort of late nineties, early two thousands monitor, I guess. Oh, earlier than that, I would have said. Early yeah, earlier than that. This yeah. is full on on like mm. old fashioned CRT kind of stuff. Yeah, like, it uh, is it is there are reasons for that that will become apparent. I I think I get the feeling that you, Gemma, would enjoy this. I think you would find this interesting, if nothing else, from a design perspective. Yeah. 
it does yeah. it makes use of itself being a video game in some very interesting ways. I do like how there's this niche for this sort of game because uh, it's going back a few weeks ago, but uh, I end up thinking of the work that William Pugh has had his hand in as well, mm. having played um, the uh, the name I can never remember. Uh, Dr. Langaskov Doctor... and yeah. the Tiger, the, um, the Something and the Terribly Cursed Emerald. Yes, that's that one, the one. Yeah. Uh, the, t- the Heist, a, a Whirlwind Heist, that one. Yes, yeah. Um given that that follows on from... Uh, it's in the same vein as the Stanley parable. Yeah, it's, um, it's definitely more linear. It's going for something different, but it does do that whole, oh, this is not what... We we presented this game to be one thing to you. No, that's not what this game is. Come yeah. do this different game now. Yeah, and games which break the fourth wall and uh, th- things like uh, crashing midway through the game. Oh, like Eternal Darkness mm, Sanity's mm. Requiem did as I, well in such a brilliant way. Without, without talking specifics, Undertale is a big game for doing things like that. Uh, there is one moment where that game... Uh, a boss got a lot of power and then... Things I did not think the game could do, it started doing. And that was very interesting. So I'll say no more for fear of Undertale spoilers. But yeah, I really like that this sort of subset of games is becoming a thing. Yeah. Hooray! Uh, After this, we should probably go back to you two. You've both got comics to talk about today, am I right? Yes. Tell us about your comics. (laughs) Well, I can start by saying that also Mary is the person who introduced me to Syria Tekkit. I mentioned it on an episode a while back. Um, she's also the one who uh, got me into lightsaber combat. So um, we, we have to thank you for a lot of Gemma's niche nerdy interests. So thank you very much. <laughs> you provide me with so much content for this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're welcome. You're more than welcome. <laughs> um, but yeah, because uh, I, I at least haven't been since May, so I came out with the usual like fat stash of stuff. But do you want to talk about some of your stuff? Well, um, I can start with um, a manga called His Favourite. I've only read the first one. It's by Ji Tanaka. And it's been a while since I read it, but um, it's basically about two boys. So there's a slight yaoi warning there but so far it hasn't become disturbingly erotic or anything like that but the story is about this one boy at at high school as per usual as it always is in manga and animes Um, he's like the best looking boy at school Uh, and all the girls want to date him but he keeps refusing them but his best friend is this uh, really annoying and ditzy guy which all the girls hate so they're best friends, and the ditzy guy doesn't understand what this good-looking guy, why he wants to hang out with him all the time. <laughs> and all the girls talk to the ditzy guy that they all hate, and like, how can we get a date with this handsome guy? Why is he refusing us all the time? Why are you taking up all his time? Because the good-looking guy is always saying, oh, but I'm going to spend time with him, and we're going to do this. And, and, and all the girls are like, stop hanging out with him. Get out of his face. We want to have dates with him. Um, but it turns out, um, not unexpectedly, that this good-looking guy, I keep forgetting their names, oh, doesn't matter, um, that he is attractive to this, attracted to this ditzy guy, very much so. And, of course, he the, the it's still a mystery why... He won't be open with his 
um, attraction for this guy. He's not ashamed of it, but he just doesn't seem to want to talk about it. And that's how far I've gotten. But it's it's one of those sort of situational mangas where embarrassing things happen and uh, I, it's all sort of crazy. What, what did you say this is called? Because I kind of want to read this. <laughs> <laughs> well... It's oh, called no. the series is called His Favorite. Yeah, by Suzuki Tanaka. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm gonna. I may have to go looking for this. Yeah, it's very funny, <laughs> very amusing. So those I've got one through three and five here, but that's it. That's okay. And I've got uh, the Witchfinder by. Well, it's from the Hellboy series. The same person that draws. No, hmm. doesn't say. But I just, I the problem with me, I think, when it comes to nerd, nerdy stuff, comic stuff, is I just pick things by the way they look. I'm like, oh, this looks nice, and I'll just hmm. pick it up. I would have picked that up based by the, uh, on the fact it's got Kim Newman on the front of it. Oh, um, you see, I never remember names, but um, <laughs> I have yeah. actually met Kim Newman a couple of times at uh, science fiction conventions. Ooh. He's the person who wrote Anno Dracula. Which oh I, yes, you mentioned I this. Think... I think you mentioned this when we talked about um, vampire law. You might have yeah. brought it up. Yes, because that's a rather interesting take on like it, it is a very much a departure from the original Dracula, but he has a very interesting gothic sensibility to him. So it, it's interesting that he's dived into not only comics writing but also something in Hellboy. Yeah, this is from the pages of Hellboy. It says Sir Edward Grey Witchfinder, and this is number three. But I have thoroughly enjoyed the Witchfinder series, so mm. I I strongly recommend them. They're a bit sort of nineteenth-century Dracula-ish, Sherlock Holmesy theme to it, which straight with strange occurrences, obviously. Mm. And then I just picked up something. Because it looked good. It does, actually, yeah. And it turned out to be um, erotica. <laughs> I flicked through them and there weren't that many. I'm, I'm neg- kind of neg- curious what it's called so I can, like, see the cover and see if you could have... Like, yeah. I, I want to look at the cover now and be like, would I have known this was erotica? <laughs> yeah. It's called Sunstone by uh, Stjepan Sejic. Hmm. It's a very nice cover up. S T J E P A N S E J I C. Oh, this art does look nice, but also when I Google image searched it, I am seeing a woman in, in a red bra with a red ball gag in her mouth. Oh, yeah. right. We don't have that. It cover wouldn't up. surprise me. I, I assume that's where this is this is going. But the art inside is. is what, I re- what really got me. It's oh, not yeah. my na- much nakedness, but... Um, There's a fair bit of toplessness in fact. Yes. <laughs> this was unexpected. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> like I said, oh, who who has at some point accidentally bought a thing that turned out to be erotica? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this is yeah. Uh, very much like... Okay, I know what I'm te- checking out. Of <laughs> I'm, looking, I'm looking up images of this now and being like, I really like the art style, but also... Yeah. I can see that it clearly went a bit erotica pretty quickly. <laughs> we cut to the boobs pretty fast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. But this is what happens. I, I Because I've borrowed pretty much all of the library already, I just go for the news section. So I just go like, oh, this looks nice. I'll pick this up. Um, and um, 
Whoops. <risos> Uh, well, my selection is rather tamer because <laughs> um, I ended up basically uh, going back through and picking up all the volumes that were either not released yet or that I ha that were constantly checked out whenever I was there. So I have picked up the latest issue of Chew. Actually, how did you get on with that, Laura? Because I think you um, mentioned you were reading Yeah, Chew. I started and I got sidetracked and didn't stick with it, but I enjoyed what I read and I do need to get back to it. Mm, I think that's probably for the best because it's kind of a weird series to soak into. Okay. Uh, because there's a lot of repetition partly as well. So like each volume is treated a little bit like a standalone. Um, but then you still end up like, because so much involves like, oh, the, the author thought of a new weird food-based power. <laughs> um, so that, that can get a bit wearing if you soak into it. So I think you're probably all right there. <laughs> Um, but it's now up to volume nine, so uh, I'll pick that one up. And it does have a flaming picture of Poyo on the front of it, so that's all it gets. Poyo the... is awesome. See, you <laughs> Poyo, the uh, maniacal cyborg chicken. Yeah. <laughs> you you mention um, food-based powers. I, I have to bring up, have I ever mentioned on this show my favourite episode of Heroes with a food-based power? Oh no, it wasn't Heroes, it was uh, Misfits. All right, no, I don't think you have. Okay, so I'm going to talk about like a superhero show that never really went anywhere and it kind of fell apart. It was called Misfits. Uh, there was a villain in one of the seasons whose power was they could control milk <laughs> and milk-based products and dairy. And they, in this world, lots of people have developed superpowers at once and he was the first person to come out to the media about having superpowers. So for a few days, he was a big deal. He could, like, telekinetically move milk around. And everyone thought that was very cool. And then people with actual cool superpowers started coming out and everyone forgot about him. So he starts going to try and murder superheroes by, like, tricking them into eating pizza with cheese on it and then, like, stra strangling them from the inside with, like, expanded cheese in the neck. It, he, was a, he was a villainous villain. He was very dangerous. <laughs> His weakness turned out to be a superhero with time travel abilities happened to be lactose intolerant and therefore had oh. not eaten any of the cheese and could just like punch the guy in the face and go back in time and stop him. Yay. So yay for weird food-based <laughs> superpowers. Yeah, in fairness, that does sound weirdly like if it's... <laughs> I think it's your phrasing milk and milk byproducts. Yeah. It sounds like a Night Vale thing. <laughs> it does sound like a Night Vale thing. Oh, have you read the Night Vale novel yet? Oh, yes, I finished it. It's yes. really good, right? Uh, oh, yes. Uh, I've forgotten. Mary, have you listened to Night Vale at I've all? I've listened to a few episodes, actually, and, and I find that they're quite cosy little episodes. Mm. Yeah. The, the problem I have is if I try and listen to one before going to bed, I end up falling asleep because it's a very relaxing voice to listen to. Mm. Oh, yeah. yes. But yeah. I, I finished the novel and I stand by what I said while I was reading it. It feels like it could stand alone as its own story for people who haven't listened to the podcast pretty well. Yeah, I mean, it, I, what's also interesting is that it does uh, like sit in the world from the beginning. So I think if I were to read it brand new, I would be a little confused as to why it took certain like directions. Um, a little bit, but I don't think it would be impossible to stick with. I think you could yeah. pick up enough to keep going with it. And 
I'm looking at it now, tempting myself, being like, could this be my entryway to get my mother into Welcome to Night Vale? Because I won't convince her to listen to a podcast off the bat. But if I get her to read a novel and she enjoys the novel, she will start listening to the podcast. So I am somewhat wondering, could I use this as a way to weasel my mum into starting to listen to Welcome to Night Vale by making her read the novel? Because she'll read any old novel. Any novel I put in her hands, she'll be like, yeah, I'll read that. Why not? <laughs> yeah, I'm actually having to look back at my my little review I wrote of it because uh, I get through a few books these days. Uh, I seem to, yeah, I seem to remember thinking that it's it, it certainly isn't a typical novel. So um, I, I guess it's hard to say other than it, it treats its own plot in a very Night Vale way, given that it doesn't totally resolve. It relies on the podcast to fill in some of the ends and uh, it's paced in an odd way as well. But it, my main conclusion is that it what it does do, as Night Vale does, but then more so, is really paint like relatable human experiences mm-hmm. in such a a stunning and like I, I think because it paints these paranormal events and you follow them through and then suddenly it hits you with like this is what teenagehood is like well exactly like, oh my god that's well, like, totally only it. <laughs> a couple of chapters in they do a really good example of that and it feels like a much more nuanced attempt at what sci-fi used to do with sort of abstracting themes like mm. racism and things into like well it's racism but about aliens but we're not actually talking about racism but we are and the example very early in that novel that I think is really good is, um, I forget the uh, the teenage child's name. Um, Josh? Yes, Josh. Um, so there's this character who is the, the son, I believe, mm-hmm. of, the, of one of the sort of two protagonists, I guess, of the novel, who shapeshifts at will. And they use this character to great effect to talk about self-identity and the ways that identity can change while growing up and feeling uncomfortable in your own skin and those very relatable themes while discussing like a human being that can turn into an eight-legged cockroach man at any time Mm. and there's also really nice stuff in there where also that chapter also does lots of really nice stuff about making homosexuality really casual yes yes where it's like Josh likes this girl who only likes him when he's cute, but he, you know, their their different their opinions on what's cute differ because you know Josh thinks that cockroaches. I, I don't know why I keep going to cockroaches. I'm trying to think of something <laughs> weird. Are uh, cute. This boy likes Josh. Uh, Josh likes this boy as well, but so and so whatever. I'm like, I like I like what you're doing with this. You're making all these things very casual in a way mm. that is. It's pleasant and it's it's enjoyable to see those kind of themes be brought up so sort of nonchalantly. Yeah, I, th- I think it's testament to Night Vale and just how weird and threatening it is that the people of it have far more important things to worry about than who fancies who. Oh, exactly. <laughs> Especially when it's all according to a high school crush register anyway. So it's... Yeah, it's like, what what do I care if my child feels more comfortable as a bear and <laughs> likes... Boys and girls. What do I care about that? There's also there's there's a desert radio station that makes people bleed blood out of out of the walls. I'm pretty sure we have bigger things to worry about than my child's, like what's going on with my child. Yeah, I felt there were interesting things though, particularly when it's 
possibly kind of spoilery, but um, so I, I guess people who really don't want to know skip should, ahead uh, like thirty seconds. Yeah, but I'm thinking of Josh's dad and the way that that's portrayed, um, mm. given the relationship with an estranged father who literally has the ability to like do like be everywhere and be many different people to many to many residents around Night Vale and just how that tension is played out as well. The fact that he's he's never there but is everywhere else. Yeah, and... like he can be everywhere at once but he wasn't there for for Josh. Yes. Yeah, and, that's what I was grasping for. Yeah. It it is a really good novel at just like again, that is what Night Vale always does so well. It's taking very human things that people don't like to think about, but that kind of, people kind of want to think about because it makes them feel better to know that they're not alone in thinking about them, and mm. like abstracts them just enough to like start those conversations off, and then be like, "Oh my goodness, my feelings got just punched in the heart," <laughs> yeah, or something to that effect. Uh, anyway, did I interrupt you? Did you still have comics left to talk about? <laughs> Well, I've got a fair stack, but I don't know how much I can talk about them, given that like, I haven't read most of them. Because I'm basically continuing um, Black Sad, which I had mentioned. It's quite a while back now. It's, I recommended it because it's the um, noir period uh, anthro comic. So oh, it's, yes. It's a, a, I think he's a, a cat, is a detective, um, basically going through like a prohibition era United States, yeah. but really gorgeous anthropomorphic art. Um, so there seem to have been a couple of volumes of that. It seems to have gone huge in Europe and then back to North America. So yeah. um, suddenly there are volumes floating all around, like, well, East Scandinavia. <laughs> um, I also gleefully picked up a couple of Neil Gaiman things because uh, I, I read the entirety of Sandman uh, back in September. Oh, yes. Last. Because I read various volumes, but then finally managed to complete it. So now I've got Death, the deluxe edition. Um, so I get to read, because there are a couple of issues of or, or volumes of Death comics. Yeah. I'm looking at Mary, because she'll know more than I. <laughs> well, there were um, loose issues that came out. Okay, it was but there were there were um, trade paperbacks as well. Yeah, uh-huh. I've just started uh-huh. reading the I've just started reading the first trade paperback of. Um, I can't remember who it is, but it's uh, The Wicked and the Divine. Oh, yeah, I've heard of it. Yes. I could have to it, though. I, I'm racking my brains. I know the, the creator and I can't think who it is. But, uh, yeah, I'm really on board with The Wicked and the Divine at the moment. That's, that's really good. That's really interesting. So, yeah, I actually read a comic for once. Hurrah! <laughs> I don't do that uh, nearly often enough. Oh, of course it's Kieran Gillen. Kieran yeah. Gillen. I wanted to say Kieran Gillen because I was like, he was at Nine Worlds. Yeah. I wanted to say Kieran Gillen, but I I wasn't certain. <laughs> There's a thing where, like, since the Wicked and Divine kicked off, then it basically made Kieran Gillen like massively more pretty much known to people. I think that's but... what he was. Um, I think that's what he was promoting when he was at Nine Worlds was the Wicked and the Divine. Mm. I think I'm pretty sure I saw posters for it there. But yeah, I'm so with it. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think what else I've been doing this week. Um, I've been watching some Hell's Kitchen. Which is basically Gordon Ramsay's American, uh, like, cooking competition show for amateur chefs. Oh, yeah. We, I've only ever seen the Muppets version. He does a... Yeah, maybe a, stick he, with that. He does a cook-off with the Swedish chef. Yeah. Which, 
which uh, actually Mary and I watched last time she was over here and just like because <laughs> there's nothing better than watching the Swedish chef with the Swede is that about right? <laughs> So, yes, we were, yeah. we were saying bork bork for bork bork. Just the mention of bork made, made us laugh. Uh, yeah, so I started watching. I started watching this just because there's a bit of me that's missing the Great British Bake Off and wanted to watch something to do with cooking. Hell's Kitchen is not a substitute for the Great British Bake Off. Uh, <laughs> Hell's Kitchen is basically. Uh, my, here are my main thoughts about that show going through. All of these chefs seem to hate each other, and that's not like the Bake Off. Why is that? They should all love each other. Um, mm. Every time that um, Gordon Ramsay shouts at the chefs, while there are people in the restaurant who can clearly see and hear this happening, I'm like, that's not professional management styles. You should take them out back, have a conversation with them away from the customers. You don't belittle the staff by shouting at them in front of the customer. That is not that is not an efficient thing to do. Um, also, mm. most of the problems that happen in their kitchen are because Gordon Ramsay is shouting, where's my effing trout? Where's my effing trout? And they're like, it's going to be two and a half minutes still cooking. And he's like, no, I want it now. So they take it over on the plate and he's like, it's still raw. And it's like, well, that's why I said I needed two and a half more minutes. And he's like, it's not good enough. Get out of my kitchen. He, he gets very angry. Um, the episode I watched uh, last night or today, he gave a fully grown adult a timeout. He handed them a cooking timer, said, get out the kitchen, sit on that step with that timer. Don't come back to the kitchen. Don't get off that step until the timer goes off. I'm like, you you, you there just treated this grown adult like a two-year-old. That's lovely behavior. Hmm. In summary, I'm going to go back and watch old seasons of The Great British Bake Off that I never watched. Because <laughs> that's a better idea than watching kitchen nightmares or hell's kitchen i i shouldn't i shouldn't watch it i i get very sad when i see gordon ramsay shouting at people i'm like if you just calmed down i'm sure more people would like you <laughs> but that's reminding me i never completed my homework actually to watch uh las feria shendis baga <gasps> grumble 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 have you found somewhere yeah. you can watch it well I, I believe it's on svt play um watch it then <laughs> <laughs> it's just I, d I don't understand much of it and it's baking <laughs> what do you need to understand everyone likes each other and they bake nice looking stuff uh, any bit that you don't understand assume that it's either someone saying oh I really hope my cake turns out nice or someone else saying oh I'm really sorry your cake's going wrong do you want me to help you if you assume what? that is all that's being said you'll get a roughly the experience that you would get watching the bake off in Britain hmm. Well, they have a version for children, by the looks of it. So that seems to be the... the uh... But if they have Swedish subtitles, you might be able to keep up. Yeah. Okay, you, just have to translate for <laughs> I, I feel like I sometimes uh, overestimate your Swedish abilities, Gemma. I, in my mind, you are 100% fluent and like you never have problems with the language in any setting. And as such, I'm like, oh, you're in Sweden. Why don't you just watch the, the Swedish program? Yeah, absolute inter. <laughs> uh, so have we got anything else we'd like to talk about this week? Or is this a good place for us to start wrapping up? Uh, yeah, because the only other comics I've got left are basically like 
Mouse Guard. I can squeer about those. You can squeer about Mouse Guard if you want. Mouse Guard is great. What is Mouse Guard? Oh, okay. Again, I thought I talked about it. Um, You might have done. I'm sure you'll start talking about it and I'll remember what it is. But we get new listeners every week. So for anyone who hasn't heard about it or anyone that's like me and has forgotten what it is. Well, it is a uh, vaguely medieval-ish uh, fantasy series with utterly gorgeous illustrative art uh, based on the premise of um, a civilization of mice who, uh, it, and this focuses particularly on the mouse guard, who are, are guardians for lots of little settlements in this woodland. And in order to enact trade between each other, the mice have to send um, their produce and like uh carpentry projects and things like that um from town to town there's quite a lot of distance and anytime they do that they're at risk of being attacked by like foxes Mm. owls so the mouse guard are there to protect uh the trade routes i I remember this now this is coming back to me (laughs) yeah so it's a, a very rich world and um last time i think i got like uh it was like a first uh, trade paperback or something for uh, Mouse Guard. There's also a Tales of the Mouse Guard, which is entirely set around um, a tavern and people telling stories of uh, brave deeds undertaken by the Mouse Guard at various points <laughs> in history. And this is all around, like, they're actually trying to tell the best stories in order to get free rounds of drinks. Um, <laughs> but what, what's nice is that's actually based on... Um, part of the construct for the role-playing game, which I believe Mouse Guard started as a role-playing game. So it's tabletop role-play. Yeah, in which you... And there is a a tavern play in that, which you you do come up with stories, basically. And then you sort of role-play the stories, I think. Um, So yeah, I picked up a couple more books of that. Um, Can I just interject something about Mouse Guard? I don't know if any of you know of The Church Mice, the children's books. No... Only faintly, it's ringing a bell. Uh, I can't remember the author's name, but I read them when I was fairly old. It's, I loved them anyway, and they, as soon as I saw Mouse, Mouse Guard, it reminded me of those books. It's sort of the same art, but The Church Mice is obviously set in, in current time. Mm-hmm. So if you like Church Mice, you'll love Mouse Guard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because as a comic, I mean, sometimes the the tales in particular actually have like, uh, they, they, I can't think of the, the term for this. Like they have the bits of the story up in the corners rather than being spoken dialogue. Um, but yeah. in, the comics in general, like they're pretty much like the best kind of children's illustrative books you could pick up. It's that sort of style. Um, but also the plot's very good. <laughs> they are tales of daring and. Uh, Sometimes politics and honour, and uh, with these adorable mouse creatures who wear cloaks and wield tiny little swords, mm. it's um, it's hard not to love it, really. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, with that, we're going to wrap up for this week. So thank you very much for for listening, everyone, and thank you very much to our special guest for joining us. Thank you for giving us some of your evening to talk about <laughs> comics and accidental I'm smart. erotica. Yes. Um, well, thank you very much. Time to do self promotion. Time to do self promotion. So, where can we find you on the internet? 
Oh my god, I, I'm not very established on the. I don't do much on the internet. Oh. Um, I have a Twitter account that I don't use. Um, I'm rarely Mary on most places. <laughs> I don't think I even follow you on Twitter. That's quite. <laughs> well, there's there's your homework for this week, Gemma. Yeah. Go go follow Mary on Twitter that that Mary doesn't use. Uh, Gemma, for anyone who sixty episodes in still doesn't know, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me pretty much anywhere just by... T- oh, I, I do follow you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my username in most places is Reagan Goth. Um, a few a while back, somebody said they, they misheard it as Reagan, as in, like, President Reagan. <laughs> yeah, I, I routinely get asked, like, why can't I find um, Gemma? I keep looking for Reagan Goth, and I can't find find her. And I'm like, no, it's Reagan. Yeah. It's because I like retro sci-fi. Oh, it is yeah. a gun that shoots rays. A ray yeah. gun. Goth. Uh, yeah, I, I am a goth and I have a ray gun on my bag. So Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, and as for me, you can find me pretty much everywhere at Laura K. Buzz. Laura K. Buzz on Twitter. Laura K. Buzz on Patreon, which keeps the, the lights on. Laura K. Buzz on YouTube. LauraKBuzz.com. Laura K. Buzz pretty much everywhere. Uh, with all that said, thank you very much for listening, and we will have another episode for you again next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.